Hello, I'm Michael Barr, along with my partner, Scott Soschnick, also with Evan Noby-Williams, joining us this week. We'll explore the big money issues in the world of sports and talk to one of the most powerful people in the industry. That's New York Yankees managing general partner, Hal Steinbrenner. But first, let's look at some of our top stories this week, beginning with football broadcasters booking less ad revenue for the coming year. It's not good for the NFL. The impervious to all things bad NFL. These networks supply them with the majority of the revenue. If you're starting to see some cracks in the armor, whether it's pharmaceutical or whether it's alcohol, whatever the genre is, if the ad revenue is coming down, the next time those networks are going to pay for NFL broadcasts, you wonder if those bids start coming down as well. NFL owners can blame the election last year for all they want for these for the the dip in viewership, but the fact is they're flooding the market with inventory. We have more Thursday night games. We have an overseas game that happens at 9 in the morning on the East Coast. Now they've sold another Thursday night package to Amazon. They're selling ads. So while football is expanding throughout throughout the week and and the inventory is flooding the market and we're starting to see the, the cost that advertisers are willing to pay go down. And as we're talking about broadcasters bringing in less revenue from football, we also got a report this week that NFL teams made 10% more from their TV contracts this year, with all 32 teams splitting a record $7.8 billion. Well, first, let's say it's not as if, Michael, the NFL is telling us all these numbers. It's because the Green Bay Packers are publicly owned, we get a little glimpse into the finances of the NFL. So the numbers are up thankful to the expansion. And the relocation, rather, it's the Raiders moved, the Rams moved. They have to pay fees to the other owners for the right to move. That's a big deal here, and that's that's billions of dollars in fees to move. That's one reason that we saw the number for everybody go up. Well, I'm going to go back to something that Robert Kraft said earlier this week, and going back to the revenue party, saying, yes, this was the election. And then he said emphatically, you wait and see, folks. This is going to be a strong year. Just watch, because Robert Kraft said it. Look, these numbers are going to go up every year for the next couple of years. The TV numbers, they're locked in through 2020, 2021. Uh, the revenue is going to keep growing from that. Uh, the players are locked into their share, so they're not going to see a bigger piece of the pie until the next CBA. So at least in the near future, until the next negotiations for the CBA and the TV contracts, this money is just going to keep rolling in for NFL owners. Let's shift gears to eSports now with news of a major investment in the business by two pro sports owners. Evan, you wrote the story from Bloomberg. Tell us what's going on here. eSports is growing up. This is the first game that was made specifically for an eSports audience, not just a video gaming audience. And as you said, you have investment here from the Crafts, from the Wilpons, the owners of the Mets. You have a number of other minority sports team owners that are buying into this league. At $20 million, it's a serious investment and kind of the first real structured esports league that we're seeing to kind of mimic what you see in the NBA and the NFL. Sadly, Michael, you and I, we are not in that millennial demographic. Eben, and I like to tease him, he's squeaking into it still. He's about to start with a three when it comes to age. But this is aimed at the younger generation. All the sports, all the networks are fretting. How do we get millennials? How do we get people in? Our guest later, Hal Steinbrenner, talks about how do we get millennials to the ballpark? 
Millennials seem to like this. They're into the digital. That's how you can reach them. How do we reach them online? How do they play these games? What's it about? How do we take their money? Tencent, Evan, what's the number? Tencent is investing $15 billion. $15 billion investment in esports coming from Tencent. And it's a billion-dollar industry. That, that tells you where yeah. this is going. Old man Barr coming here. And I know people in our age bracket are thinking, now who in the world is going to watch people play video games? Well, remember back in the day, they had Championship Bridge, and we watched that. So there's no reason why this cannot get over. We had Ted Leonsis, the owner of the Washington Capitals and the Washington Wizards, say that he believes esports as an industry will be the size of the NHL or the NBA within the next five years. Uh, that, that's how big this is growing, and that's how bullish a lot of these traditional sports owners are on esports. And finally, Forbes came out with its ranking of the most valuable sports teams in the world. And for the second straight year... How about them Dallas Cowboys? They sit atop of the throne. No surprise. I mean, Jerry is just the master. And he almost bankrupted himself when he bought the Cowboys. Donald Trump had a chance to buy the Cowboys for 50 million bucks. When he didn't get it, he said, oh, poor guy, whoever gets us. If you win, so what? You're supposed to win. And if you lose, you're the guy who couldn't win with the Cowboys. But what he's done is made the Cowboy brand the centerpiece of a real estate empire of a media empire. It's not just football. All the other owners and all the other leagues should be envious and actually mimicking what Jerry Jones has done. And we can talk about ad revenue all we want in this that whatever, but one thing about Jerry Jones is that he has that flamboyant style and you know Jerry Jones is the owner of the Cowboys, and that plays a major role in why that team is very successful. We talked about with the Packers how much money there is in, in football. This list just doubles down on that. 29 of the NFL teams are in the top 50 of the world's richest franchises, and that's because of these TV deals. It's because the NFL is the biggest league in the world by a significant margin. Roger Goodell is the commissioner of the NFL. Jerry Jones is the de facto commissioner. They are in L.A., and they are in Vegas, because Jerry Jones made it happen. And now on the program, an extended conversation with the man who controls those New York Yankees, including what it takes to keep the team at the top of those rankings. Hal Steinbrenner is the managing general partner of the Yankees. He officially took over control of the team in 2008, two years before his father's death. The Steinbrenner family has majority control of the team, which includes a host of limited partners. Hal, I saw the numbers for the uh, All-Star Home run derby, through yep. the roof, everything was good. Yeah. Of course, Aaron Judge, you've seen him all year. But I, I'm starting to get that Jeremy Linlin sanity sense that everybody wants a piece. First of all, did you watch the home run derby? I did indeed, and um, I think it was Robbie Cano that, that put it best. I mean, he, the judge just brought it to a different level. I mean, it's just a different level, what he was doing out there. Um, it was amazing from beginning to end, it really was. He's already had an impact on marketing and attendance for the Yankees now. What have you done, and then how do you capitalize on a guy who the, even the commissioner says could become the face of baseball? There's no way you thought that this kid at the All-Star break could become the face of baseball. Well, look, I, I, we certainly chose him to start right field. We've been following him for years. We knew what the potential was, but yes, there, nobody could have predicted that he'd be having this kind of a rookie season. I mean, it's, it's at this point an MVP-type season. Um, we'll see what the second half brings, but uh, he's he's been amazing, no doubt about it. Our fans are excited. I mean, he's he's great off the field, as as good as he is on the field, and we've got a lot of other young players like Sanchez, Severino, that they're excited about too. So it's uh, it's been a fun year. You have the judges' chambers. You have fans showing up in wigs. Can you give me from a dollars and cents perspective now? 
How does a team, how does a league capitalize on that? Well, look, I, this, this is New York, as you know. I mean, the, the best thing we can do is win. And for us, it's not necessarily about any individual player. There's no doubt that judges chamber, you know, we have different people. We choose different people to sit there before every game. And the fans love it, and it's great. But Aaron Judge will be the first one to tell you that there's 25, you know, guys total on this team. And uh, he's just one of them. But there's no doubt he's been fantastic. Uh, he's unbelievable with the kids. He's unbelievable with the fans. But we've got a lot of good young players, and I think that's what overall the fans are excited about. And we just need to, we need to, uh, we need to win. It's been a tough few weeks here. We're talking about players knocking a baseball about 500 feet, including Aaron Judge. I know some people say, oh, well, the ball has changed. Maybe it's juiced. It's, I, I don't believe that at all. I think it's just simply you've got guys that can physically knock a baseball like that and are physically fit. There was a lot of impressive things about that derby, right? But I think the thing that impressed me probably the most is the judge looked like he could have gone another round or two. And some <laughs> of these other guys were gassed, if not most of them. So he's, uh, he's something else, no doubt. Yeah, you said we have a bunch of young guys. I'm not used to hearing the Yankees spoken about in those terms. I remember the core four of years ago, but the Yankees and a bunch of young guys, pinch me, this is the New York Yankees, right? It is. Uh, look, we've had our rough years the last five years, right? But uh, we've been talking about the, the Sanchez's and the Severinos and the, and the judges and the birds of the world for the last few years. And, you know, they're finally now here and they've arrived and we're going to get bird going as well. And we got a lot of other talent at AAA and a double A and a single A. So it's, uh, you know, we, we're patient. We didn't trade these kids away when everybody was asking for them. Um, you know, we were patient, and that's not an easy thing to do. And the fans were patient, too. They were great. It's no surprise Forbes ranked the Yankees one of the most valuable sports teams in the United States. How did the Yankees become this, this mega-valuable team? Well, it's an honor, first of all. Um, but, it's look, there's a lot of history there, a lot of world championships. And, you know, my dad really really turned this thing around. We all know what the Yankees were in the early 70s, not much. And... Um, he just did a phenomenal job of promotion and getting getting the right players, not being not being afraid to to spend money, even if it was his own money, and um, to get a world championship team and you know developing, putting a lot of money in player development, scouting. I mean, it all it all comes from winning, and it all comes from, in my opinion, having as much class as you can. I mean, we we try to be a very classy organization from top to bottom. And discipline is strong, and the players know it from the day they walk in these doors at, you know, 16, 17, 18 years old. And no disrespect to Craig Nettles, who was a great Yankees player, but I remember that era, and I always call it the Craig Nettles era, which you just described in the early 70s. uh, The Yankees had the rebuild. Yeah, uh, Stottlemyre was great, but, I mean, you know, there there weren't many bright spots, that's for sure, late 60s, early 70s. And, uh, again, my dad came in there and he made some made some trades, you know, Pinella getting, getting of course, Reggie and, you know, all these kind of catfish and all these all these deals in relatively short order. He, he turned that club around and gave New York a winner again. We are chatting with Hal Steinberger, the managing general partner of the New York Yankees, and how you said patience. And that is not always a buzzword that the New York Yankees were known for. They did yeah. trade assets away for sort of the win now, the veteran guys. Was there a, a line of demarcation? When did it change when the approach was, we're not going to spend the big money on the huge free agents, we're going to develop our own, that's the way you win in baseball? Well, I mean, look, it's a, it's a group effort, numerous family members. I'm not the only one involved here. And we just all felt, you know, it was pretty three, four years ago. We had all those injuries, and we had nobody at AA and nobody at AAA to come and really, you know, really contribute and, you know, didn't make the playoffs. And it was kind of then that, that 
me and others, you know, um, really just felt that we knew we had all this talent at single A, right? Judge, Sanchez, all these guys. And we just weren't going to trade them away. I mean, it was the same every trade deadline and every offseason was the same. Everybody was asking for these guys, everybody. And we just decided not to do it. Let, let's, let's let them develop in our system. Let's, let's make our fans aware of them. Um, which I think we've done a good job of doing the last couple of years, you know, during game, TV shows on Yes, things like that, that really show these young kids and get their names out there so the fans get excited about them. And I think that's, that's, been, a, uh, that's been a good endeavor as well. But it was simply a matter of, for me, not having that talent when we needed it at the upper levels. And, you know, we just wanted to be patient and let these guys develop so we would have that. You meant you mentioned your dad, George Steinbrenner, and what your dad did. He was one of the owners of a major sports team that you can recall, especially in the seventies. All of a sudden, he's popping up on light beer commercials. The whole nation knew George Steinbrenner, and I'm just. Can you expand on that and and talk about your dad and what he meant to the Yankees? Well, look, he he was he was very. Charismatic, as as you know, and and outspoken at times, and uh, you know he wore his emotions on his sleeve. Uh, there was no uh, no doubt how he was feeling at any any given time, and he he said it like it is. And he was just really good at the promotional part of it. But uh, the vast majority of of a lot of the things that you saw were just passion. He he loved the game. He loved New York, and he loved the Yankees. And it it it, show, it showed good sometimes in good times, sometimes in bad times, but it showed. Hal, I never know what to believe when I hear sports bankers talking about the Yankees, because I'll tell you what they say, many of them anyway. Hal and the family, they don't love baseball. Mm-hmm. That's what that's what I hear. Do you love baseball? Is this really what you are? I know you like aviation. I know you're into that. Do you yeah. love baseball? I do. Look, I, I, I've, I've spent a lot of years in the hotel business, and um, but even when I was doing that, I, my office was still next to George's here at the stadium. Uh, and then later down the hall. But I've always been here at Steinbrenner Field in Tampa and uh, always been a part of what's going on. And we do. We love baseball. Or we wouldn't still be here, right? I mean, I get asked that question every year by, by the New York media. Are you going to sell? Are you going to sell? No, there's no plans to sell. We've got three generations now. I mean, my dad obviously has passed, but brothers and sisters, and now I have nieces and nephews that are involved, and someday my kids will be. So uh, it's an honor, and we, we treat it as such. It's a blessing. And we do everything we can to carry on what you know what our dad started here. Do you look at the valuations right now? We have the Miami Marlins are on the block. You have three groups interested. Derek Jeter among them. One. Did Derek ever come to you as a player and solicit information on what's it like to be an owner? What do I need to do? How do I develop that off the field persona on how to be an owner? Uh, Derek's talked to a lot of people, and we we certainly had conversations about about certain things. I mean, I really don't want to get into it, but he's got a, he's got a lot of smart people around him, and he's a really smart guy. So, um, you know, whatever he ends up doing, I'm sure he's going to be great at it. What do you think the Yankees are worth? If we're hearing, I Scott, I really, I, I people ask me this all the time as well, and I just I just don't. I don't think about that. I mean, there's no, there's, there, it doesn't really matter unless you're selling, right? And, and there's just no plans to sell. So, the answer to that is I don't know. But I mean, clearly every sale, every sale that happens seems to, you know, all boats rise on high tide. It's not just the Yankees. But, um, anyways, it's just not something I think about. To okay, be honest with but you. I'm sure you do think about the tent poles that do drive valuation. I mean, that's just about making money. Yeah. How do you see the Yankees are the centerpiece? What are some of those other tent poles that drive the business surrounding the Yankees as that core focus? Well, I mean, look, if you're talking about the business itself, I mean, you're right. I mean, you know, having a healthy having a healthy fiscal situation is a is a big part of any valuation of of any company, and obviously, ticket sales drive that. And what drives ticket sales? You know, success. 
on the field, and that drives TV ratings and everything else. So we've got to we've got to win, and this is New York, and you know I think we're we're finally after four or five tough years, even though I think we were over 500 every year, but that's you know not making the playoffs and so on and so forth. Uh, I think we're I think we're primed for a good decade plus here. I mean, at least that's that's what I hope, and I'm excited. Baseball Commissioner Rob Menfred he was talking about the possibility of expanding, adding more teams to the league. Yes or no? Is that a good idea? Well, I guess it depends where where, where that is. I mean, uh, you know, we've certainly that's certainly been discussed. I know. Uh, I'm not sure that there's anything imminent, um, but again, I'm not Rob Manford, so I can't speak for him. But uh, it just depends. I, I guess it just depends, guys, on, on where you're going to put the clubs. I mean, this is a big country, and there's a lot of great markets, and, and a lot of people love baseball in this country. It is our national pastime, so it just it really depends on the market, I guess I would say. How are the Yankees making money? The Yankees do good, yes. We're doing fine, as you can tell, and uh, attendance is up, ticket sales are up. Uh, like I said, the last four or five years has been difficult for a number of reasons, the injuries, aging players, uh, big contracts, big payroll. Um, but now you're starting to see some of that payroll come off, and that's going to give us flexibility to sign other guys in the free agent market. We are the Yankees. We're always going to be involved there. But it, you know, it also gives us, it gives us flexibility of having younger players finally, lowering payroll, getting under the threshold, everything I've been talking about for a while. But the Yankees are doing good, yes. Internationally, how do you push the brand? I mean, that interlocking NY and the pinstripes, it's known all around the globe. It is. But you really haven't pushed the brand around the globe with the focus on digital. And we know BAM and BAM Tech, with the way kids are consuming these days, everything on their iPads and their phones, yep. it's easy to push scalable media. You can certainly push Yankees in Asia, in Europe. What's the plan there? How do, do you do that? Does baseball does, do that? Do they do it? Do you get together and do it? Yeah, obviously, bam. You know, baseball owns the trademark number one, and and um, properties is properties is the big merchandise and other things, arms of baseball. And then, of course, you have bam with all the the uh, the uh, the media and all that. But um, yeah, we're we look. We we're just finally realizing about a year ago that we needed to really create a good social media department. We have. We got two really good people on board. And they're they're doing a lot of great things, and we're going to continue to to do that because you're right. That's that's it's it's just an, it's a conventional media is is just one part of the whole picture now, right? I mean, you've got this whole social media platform, and that's all these young adults, millennials, and even kids my age. That's that's what they do. That's how they get their news. Uh, that's how they form opinions about things, and um, that's how they recognize one brand is better than another sometimes. And so we're going to push it. We've we've had relationships in Asia for, for a lot of years, Japan, and, um, you know, we're going to continue to push it, and baseball's been great about that as well. And, you know, they, they realize Rob Manford understands this younger generation. That That's he absolutely understands it. He knows what hurdles baseball faces when it comes to millennials and the generation younger than them. And, um, you know, the play ball initiative is great. And he's going to be attacking all this stuff, including what you just were talking about here. I know you fielded this question many times, but fantasy sports, it has taken the not only baseball but other sports as well to a new level. Your thoughts about fantasy sports, daily fantasy sports? Yeah, you know what? I I, I don't get asked that often. Uh, I've I've never done it. Number one, um, I'm I'm probably a little archaic when it comes to uh, technology and and apps and all that. But uh, that's just something I've never done. I mean, I my look, my daughter's done it. My 20 year old daughter's done it, and uh, I, I find it I find it interesting. 
Um, you know, I, baseball's all over making sure that there's not too much of it or that it's being done in the right way, and I'm sure that will, will continue. But it's a, it's a big, big business. And, um, you know, it's, it's, look, if it, if it brings interest, if it, if it gets people's interest in, in baseball, then they can only be good for the, for the industry. And I can tell you my daughter knows a lot about baseball because she has to to, to compete in this, you know, fantasy league type thing. So I got no problem with it. Oh, yeah. It, and there are two different stages of fantasy sports. They used to be the old house league where, you know, you had about 10 or 12 teams and they would all get together and you have it through the whole season. And then daily fantasy sports came about. And like you said, now you really have to be on top of not just the Yankees, but all the other teams out there as well. Absolutely, absolutely. It's a uh, you know look, and it, it's, as far as youth is concerned, I mean it's it's a it, it keeps your brain active, right? It's it's good uh, cerebral stuff, and uh, like I said, if it brings passion to these to these uh, young men and women and and kids uh, for baseball, then that's that's great for the industry. And there was daily fantasy, Hal, and then there's that next step that everybody's looking at three, five, seven years. Who knows what the timeline is? But it's the legalization of sports betting with some federal regulation. Adam Silver was first. Commissioner Manfred has also backed that. Your thoughts on whether it's a good thing, a good idea, and how much potential revenue would come with it? Well, I, the second part of that, I, I just don't know. Um, do I think it's a good idea? Look, I, I don't have a, I don't have a problem with the concept as long as, of course, it's it's well regulated, and you know, it, that's really up to really up to Rob. I mean, they've they've taken a close look at this, and and they will continue to do so, but. You know, I, I I played blackjack. I've gambled, so I you know I'm not I'm not against it, but it, it needs to be regulated. And you know, there are there can be downsides to to gambling, as we've seen. And um, you know, we just need to be cognizant of that. That's all. What kind of blackjack player on your dealer showing a five? <laughs> you've got a fourteen. Are you waiting for him to bust? Or are you taking a card? Huh? Six or less. I'm going to stay at twelve, even. Right? Oh, okay. <laughs> more more conservative. There uh, you go. Would you have done anything differently with the stadium if you could go back now and build it again? You've already made some changes to accommodate families and kids. Just curious if, if you're, you're, you're learned anything uh, in, the, in the years since the stadium has been built. Well, what we've definitely learned is what we did address in the offseason with, with a pretty big, decent-sized renovation um, is that uh, millennials in particular like to watch baseball standing up, talking to friends, drinking a beer. Or whatever. I mean, they, that's just, they're not like us. They want to, you know, they, they just want to be, they want to be, it's about the experience. They want to be Instagramming, taking pictures, talking to their friends. So in addition to the, uh, the kids club that we built, we built very large social gathering places over the bullpens in the outfield, uh, three of them. And they've done really well. If you go to our games, they're packed from the beginning of the game all the way through to the end. And uh, everybody seems to like it. So, I mean, I, I think what I learned was it, it needs to be, what happens on the field is always, of course, the most important primary part of the experience, but it needs to be more than that with, with this millennial generation in particular. And uh, social gathering areas, you've seen all stadiums start to start to add them if, if they weren't there to begin with. And uh, so that's definitely something we addressed. And I, you know, I think we got a, a pretty cool facility here for, for people to come to. Bob Bowman was a guest on the show last week, and he described what he says millennials love is sort of this pay one price for a month. And if you use it, great. He, it was sort of the genius of the Reed Hastings Netflix model, where if you don't use it, so what? It's eight bucks a month. You're not going to cancel it. Any chance the Yankees will give it? Pay me forty bucks. Pay me fifty bucks for the entire month. Come to as many games as you want. 
Yeah, well, we're looking at everything. Uh, Bob did describe that at the owners' meetings a couple owners' meetings ago, and it's an interesting concept. I mean, every city is different. Uh, every every stadium is different. What we did add this year was a $15 pinstripe pass. So basically, you're standing room only. You can go wherever in the stadium you want to go to watch the game, and uh, you get a free soda or a free beer and a, and a ticket to watch the game from wherever you want. So um, we're doing stuff like that, and we're going to continue to look at different things, yeah. What can people do as part of a major team to get the young people involved in just simply playing the sport because the first thing is simply you have to go grab a bat and a ball and you have to grab some friends and you have to go out in a field and go play that was no problem in my era right but now things have changed so much what what can major teams do to generate interest just simply playing the sport well, first of all, Rob understands that, which is that this whole play ball initiative, that's what, it, that's what it's all about. And uh, he's done a great job with it, and it's going to continue. I mean, as far as an individual team, I mean, we're pretty active in our community, trying to fund baseball programs in the Bronx and in other areas and, and get kids excited about playing. And, we, you know, we send our players out there to, uh, to do different functions. And, you know, it's all about being active in your community, your local community, and uh, teach these kids that baseball is as is, is much fun as any sport there is to play and to be a part of. How can I use a bad word? Sure. Red Sox. Yeah. <laughs> you hear Red Sox to a Yankee <laughs> fan. You hear, I mean, they're rivalry, it's nasty, it's this. But the fact remains, let, let's be honest, that Yankees and Red Sox, from a business perspective, yeah. your guys are best of friends. It's the, it's the best thing for baseball, best thing for both franchises, right? Yeah, look, John Henry, the owner, was one of our limited partners before he bought the Marlins. So I've known John forever. He's a good guy. And uh, it is. We, we have a lot in common, obviously. Um, but the rivalry on the field will always be uh, heated and passionate. And uh, that is great for baseball. And it's, it's great for our fans and their fans, too. You mentioned the limited partnerships. They do trade quite often. What's the market like for Yankees LPs? And why do people do it? Why do I want a 1% or 2% stake in a team? Well, I mean, I, you'll have to ask them. I mean, clearly, you know, two or three times a year maybe it, it happens. But you have to remember we have a lot of partners that have been in since 73. So they're, they're getting older and thinking of their estates and whatever else. And, but then you've got some guys that, that do come in, even if it's a half a percent. Uh, I, I Just to be a part of this great franchise that my dad worked so hard to build. And uh, I think there's a sense of pride that comes along with it. There's, there's not much governance, that's for sure. Actually, there's no governance. Um, you know, I think somebody once said that there's nothing quite so limited as being a limited partner in the New York Yankees. The <laughs> Dr. John McMullen, the former <laughs> yeah, owner of the Devils, said that about you. Well, he didn't just say limited partner to the Yankees. He says being a limited partner to George Steinberger yeah, specifically. Yeah, okay, all right, all right. Well, that hasn't changed. You don't want too many captains in the wheelhouse. But um, I just think it's a, it's a sense of pride. And, you know, they enjoy coming to the games and being a part of it and, you know. So that's going to, I'm sure, continue. But there are other reasons, too, it happens. What do you see as the future revenue drivers? Do you worry how, big picture, when ESPN is losing subscribers? I mean, we all know media is the number one revenue stream. Tickets, of course, you need as well. But is there any worry uh, about the big media companies? Or is it, you know what, Amazon will come in, Google will come in, it's a changing landscape, Twitter, Facebook, somebody's going to pay because our content is so compelling? Well, that's the, I think you just hit what I was going to say, which is as long as we take care of our business, this industry, uh, you know, the play ball, get kids interested in playing and watching, um, teach them it could be fun, um, you know, having good, classy organizations like all these are, as long as we take care of business on our end, I, I think the rest is going to take care of itself. All right. That's Hal Steinbrenner, the managing general partner of the New York Yankees. Hal, thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. So, Michael, I'll tell you what I take away from Hal Steinbrenner. 
is that this is a different Yankees. This is not the Yankees that people were used to where if they're close, you know what? Get rid of all the young prospects. Doesn't matter. Get the star, the 33-year-old star now, winning now, gratification now. This is about building an organization. They understand or seem to have learned that you better have depth in the minor leagues to bring up. This is a different team. They're not going to be the highest spenders, and they're not going to get rid of their prospects. A word that we have not heard around the Bronx in a long time, patience. Something else that uh, caught my ear when he said it, because I asked about fantasy sports, is obviously fantasy sports has a huge impact, not only on baseball, but NFL and the other major sports. But he really isn't that into it. Uh, His daughter is. But with something such of an impact that can add revenue, just bringing in new people into the sport, it's interesting that uh, really is not his forte. It is not. And you ready for our stat of the week, Mike? I know you love this part. You ready for the stat? Ta-da! Today is number two. Yes, Derek Jeter, so we're continuing a theme. But number two, the number of endorsements Aaron Judge has. Two, Rawlings, endemic to baseball. Under Armour, endemic to baseball. That's it! They are knocking down his door. Remember, Commissioner Manfred said, this guy could be the face of baseball as a rookie. He is the guy. Two endorsements. What do you think it's like to be his agent these days? And a rookie? Uh, My my goodness, I mean, the the sky is going to be the limit. And as long as he doesn't have any major injuries, this guy, I'm sorry to use hyperbole, but this guy could be. The next Babe Ruth. I mean, he's hitting him 500-plus feet. He, he's a big guy. He's a big smile. That's all great, but it's all predicated. What did Hal keep saying? We need to win. If the Yankees win and he's a big part of it, whoo, look out for him on the richest athletes list. All rise. Here come the judge. I'm just sorry, John Sterling. Anyway, that wraps up this edition of Bloomberg Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio around the world. We are here each and every week at the same time exploring the world of money and sports. I'm Michael Bond. And I'm Scott Soshnick. Thanks for joining us, and please tune in next week when we continue our discussions with the most powerful people in sports. 